Our students, our kids are facing unprecedented opportunities and challenges because of the technological advances in our world. On today's episode, we chat with someone who delved into the statistics and coupled it with his 25 years of classroom experience to give us not only some ideas, but some hope for helping the kids of today. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, educators, I'm so excited on this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. We get to chat with Jeremy Adams. He is a teacher, an award-winning teacher in Bakersfield, California, teaches some history and social studies classes, but he's also the author of a book released in 21 called Hallowed Out, really dives into some of the things that our kids are experiencing in this technological age. I can't wait for us to be able to chat with him. You can follow him on Twitter or X at Jeremy Adams 6 Jeremy, it's so great to be able to meet you and just uh, let you share some of uh, your great wisdom that you've you've gleaned from from being a teacher with with everyone. Thank you so much, Chris. It's an absolute honor to be here. I've kind of you know, followed you the last uh, few months, and uh, you do wonderful work. And tremendously excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. And and first of all, just uh, let the let the educators listening know how how did you get into teaching, and and then what what kind of pulled you in this uh, this perspective of wanting to talk about this hollowed out feeling that kids are feeling. Well, I, I guess kind of the, the first question about how did I get into it, you know, it's kind of the family business. Both my parents were teachers. My siblings are teachers. I'm the baby of the family. Um, but I would, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, as a young man, I, that's why I didn't want to go into teaching. I remember getting into a big fight with my father when I was 16 years old. And, you know, sometimes you say awful things to your parents. And I said, well, dad, if I can't get any other job, I can go be a teacher. Uh, this is kind of why I think the Lord has a sense of humor sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, but but when I when I got to college, uh, you know, I came into contact with one or two professors yeah. who really made me have a radically different view of education. See, I always was a very utilitarian, practical learner. You know, mm -hmm. I'm in this class to get credits, to get a degree, to get a job, to make money someday. Yeah. And these these teachers said, well, hold on. Actually, education is about much more than that. And and, and really, I don't want to I, I hate the term romanticized, but it is kind of a, a romanticized, elevated view of education, that education is about words and ideas and understanding life and understanding society um, and understanding and inspiring you to figure out what your place is in it. And I thought to myself, my God, these teachers have radically transformed the way I look at myself and my life and my country. Right. If I can do a scintilla of that for other young minds, then it will be a life well lived. And that's yeah. why I went into the classroom. Yeah. And and then you started to realize, I mean, now you're in like year 26 and, and a few years ago, you were starting to notice just all the changes happening in education. And and these really led you to to share some of that. And I mean, I mean, to me, I, I read the book and sometimes educators, we get those books, they sit on a shelf for a while and and maybe we pick at it a little bit. I, I tell you what, I picked it up and 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 it was done within two days and so good. I passed it on to my assistant principal because I wanted him to to read that message. But uh, you you started noticing some, some things and and that's kind of what built into this this book you wanted to share. Yeah, I think that there's a real advantage to having taught in kind of the the time horizon that I have. You know, I think yeah. if I'd only been teaching for five or six years, or maybe if I'd been teaching, you know, at the very end of 40 years, it'd be different. But yeah. I've been teaching for, you know, a quarter of a century now. 
And I noticed about you know, eight to 10 years ago, some real changes yeah. in the way that kids were talking and the way they were spending their time. And, and, and I would say things like talking about, you know, the family dinner at night and they had no idea what I was talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm a public school teacher. I don't, I don't care if you go to church or not. It's not my business, but I was noticing that not only did kids not go to church anymore, fine, but they also didn't know anything about religion at all. Yeah. Um, I noticed increasingly they had a, a very kind of negative and pernicious view of the country in, in a way that was kind of seemed very new. And I knew, noticed that a lot of them were not spending a lot of time around adults. They didn't really have that close of relationship with a lot. I mean, a lot of my students uh, are very at risk. They know one parent who they don't see very often. And so I noticed that they weren't going to, to, to movies. They weren't dating. They didn't want to have families. Uh, and so all of these things that I think about my childhood, I mean, my childhood was awesome. Hanging out with friends, you know, trying to figure out the opposite sex, Right. Figure out what my dreams are. Yeah. Um, all of these things, you know, I just, you know, none of these things were present for my kids all of a sudden. I noticed they didn't read books. They couldn't pay oh, attention yeah. anymore. You know, their, their attention spans were gone. And, and, and then the big one, Chris, and this is the big one. I noticed they're miserable. They're yeah. unhappy. And, and the statistics don't lie. And I hope the listeners heed this message. When you and I, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, these are old guys. They don't get it. Well, we're <laughs> not making... We're not making up the fact no. that the New York Times has a headline that says ERs across the country are just overwhelmed with suicidal children yeah, and children who are committing acts of self-harm and that clinics have doubled in the number of eating disorders for young women. And mm -hmm. the word that we hear all the time is anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Something has changed in our children and yeah. we're not making it up. Yeah. And and just thinking about, you know, I mean, a lot of people take a look back at just the past couple of years, you know, from from COVID and from the lockdowns and, and how we've uh, even more so like you've talked about, you were saying, you know, eight years ago, you started to notice this change. Well, even if we look back at just the past few years and how much more we are now reliant on technology and kids are even more so as, as much as they have social media, they've become way less social. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, it's really interesting. I wonder if you've noticed this too. Uh, whenever I used to, and I didn't, you know, I don't, I, I try and teach the whole period, but occasionally, you know, you have two or three minutes left. You've kind of finished the class. You're like, okay, yep. hey, everybody, you know, here's two or three minutes. And it used to be that it like erupted and like people start chatting and they start walking around and start flirting with each other. <laughs> Nowadays, if you give two or three minutes, silence. Yeah. Silence. Everybody takes out their phone. They become zombies. They don't interact. I, I swear, sometimes they're drooling as they're scrolling. They're so <laughs> enamored with it. Yeah. And so kind of that, that connective tissue, that connective tissue that gives life its meaning and its purpose, our human relationships and our connections to institutions that are supposed to socialize us and give us a sense of purpose and meaning, these have been weakened. They're not there anymore. And I, again, I don't want to carry go on too long here, but uh, very recently, Harvard came out with this very famous study called the Grant Study, where it looked at um, about 270 people over the course of 70 years. And they looked at these people in every decade of their life, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, so, so forth and so on. And they said, what was the one thing, if we had to distill it down to one thing that makes people happy in every part of their lives, it's relationships. Yeah, Relationships to friends, to family, to community, to ideals, to institutions. What do I mean by hollowed out, Chris? Those relationships and institutions don't exist anymore for young people. They don't. They're unhappy because the things that make them happy aren't present in their lives. It's that simple. 
Yeah. And, and and again, you mentioned, Jeremy, those those institutions and, and many of those social institutions from uh, from friendships, from neighborhoods, from family, from uh, churches and, and different places where they worship together and, and meet people um, or even just going to the movies or or even a lot of kids look at look at those aspects and opportunities for summertime jobs where they where they start to learn some of those skills and things. And and again, uh, we can't just you know boil it down to to one thing, but technology is a big part of that. You know, kids are just so much more. It's so much easier to just pick up that phone, pick up that device, uh, pick up that gaming console. First of all, yeah, uh, exclamation point! Italicize what you just said. Uh, that's the gospel. That is absolutely true. But you know, one of the things that I I, I say, and I know that any of your listeners who have taught kind of long enough will know this. I say that there are two eras of teaching in my career. Mm -hmm. Right there. And there's a gigantic Grand Canyon schism chasm separating the two. And it's right around 2014, 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. It's when the devices became omnipresent in their lives. Yeah. Around around those years, it changed absolutely everything the way. And but most of all, most of all, it's how they spent their time. Yeah. If you used to spend your time with friends and riding bikes and gossiping and going out to the movies and watching football with your buddies on a Friday night, and now all of a sudden you're scrolling for nine or ten hours a day, it's going to have a profound mm-hmm. impact. Uh, and, and and I mean, this is where like, there's actually a fight right now. I know Jonathan Haidt and others and, uh, are having to kind of deal with this, where people want to say, well, really, the, the technology isn't making people, you know, it's just a correlation, it's not causation. Are right. you out of your mind? <laughs> are you serious? Anybody who's been a parent or a teacher in this era will tell you yeah. it's not a coincidence. Yeah. And and I think a lot of even younger teachers, you know, I mean, uh, great for them for jumping into the industry and and doing this this great service. But a lot of them are close enough to that generation where the phones were ubiquitous to them, the devices, and, and they can see that from the other side as well. I'm I'm hoping that that maybe, and you mentioned this in your book, that even, even with all, all these uh, frustrations of, of what is happening to our kids today, there's still hope, right? There absolutely is hope. And I, and I see a lot of movement on this. First of all, I don't know about your school up in Michigan, but here in California, we are really starting to get serious about the phones being in the classes all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes districts have policies. Here in my district, it's like up to each individual teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm starting to see this. I was just in Texas giving a speech two days ago that people are finally starting to say enough. Like, like the idea that you can have your phone out on your desk and still be paying attention and giving you everything that, that you need to give to the classroom is just folly. Um, I mean, I am so naive, Chris. I actually thought two years ago, the kids would come in with these earbuds mm-hmm. and they would have them on during class. And I just thought to myself, oh, they forgot to take them out. Yeah. Uh, are you kidding me? No, they're, no, they're listening to music as I'm trying to teach them about macroeconomic policy. Right. Um, and, and, and the fact, and this is what's so weird, is that you actually have to say to the students, hey, guys, guess what? It's rude yeah. to be watching your phones and listening as I'm trying to teach you. And it's also bad for your learning. You actually have to say this yeah. uh, to them. Just like it's weird. You have to say to people, young people need to be raised. They actually can't do all this on their own. Yeah. We adults have to continue to adult and model. Yeah. yeah. And and you mentioned in the book, I mean, we're in this state of this flux, um, this, this uh, urgent and simple warning that we need to brace ourselves for what lies ahead. I mean, as these kids who who have grown up as these digital natives, and 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 they keep going unless we as as educators start setting some expectations, setting some some boundaries, and and yeah, we have to be able to balance that 
you know, the fact that these kids are hurting, these kids have because of technology, because of these lack of relationships and institutions in their lives, there are things that they're missing out on and don't know even how to react sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, I, oh, I completely agree with you. And, and what I would say to you is, I think sometimes we confuse empathy for, you know, the, for empathy, uh, we think that can take the, the place of expectations yeah. and it can't. Um, that it doesn't, you know, it's really not it, this idea that expectations or individual responsibility uh, somehow harms students. It's the opposite. When they don't have expectations, when they don't have adults modeling um, proper behavior. I mean, kids don't need more kids in their life, but they, they are suffering from a dearth of adulthood. Hmm. And I think what's happened is we've kind of fetishized uh, and kind of infantilized adulthood. And like, it's cool to be young and hip and chic. Well, in the process, a lot of old people who decide as teachers, we're going to befriend our students. That's how we're going to have buy-in is the kids are going to think we're cool. They're going to like us. We're going to be buddies. But the problem with that is, is that friendship is based on a kind of egalitarian footing, whereas our students need more parents. They need more teachers. They need more you know, mentors. They don't need more kids. And, and, and I'll just say this. I'm curious what your thought is on this. I think one of the, the, the worst things about all the social media usage is not just that it's killing their attention span and taking away all their time. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is it's a bunch of 14 and 15-year-olds watching other 14 and 15-year-olds all day. Yeah. So they're not absorbing what it looks like to be a mother, a father, a mm-hmm. citizen, mm-hmm. a spouse, right? Yeah. I mean, we. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a philosopher here, but we are human beings. We learn by the examples in front of us. Yeah. And imagine a whole generation where there's not a mom and a dad and teachers are just trying to be your friend instead of your teacher. And mm-hmm. you don't go to church and you don't have counselors and you don't have an older brother or something. Yeah. That's hard. It is. It's really hard, Jeremy. And um, and I tell you what, uh, one of my classes this year was a college and career readiness class for 11th graders. And I had already had kind of this relationship with these students after teaching them math for the last couple of years. And and so they would ask me on you know Monday, hey, what did you do this weekend, Mr. Woods? And and it was always like, what did you do with your wife after a while? Because because they I would tell them, oh, I went out on a date with my wife and and uh, took her to dinner, or we went and visited my kids. That are you know what kind of job are they doing, Mr. Woods? And and just seeing some of those examples of they they were hungry for it, they were yearning for those types of of stability uh, things in their lives to be able to hear about that sense of normalcy almost. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, that is that is the gospel. And I, I think that, you know, you ask what are some beneficial kind of positive developments? And yeah. I would say, first of all, is that the kids know, a lot of them know that they're broken. A lot of them know yeah. that there's something not right in their lives. And I think, you know, one of the other positive developments, in addition to the fact that we're starting to finally figure out we got to take away the phones in the classroom, is that I'm really happy to see, and I'm not saying that I had anything to do with this, but when the book came out two years ago, Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff was considered to be a kind of a more of a conservative or a right wing ideological point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was always kind of shocked by that and said, no, no this is a teacher parent point of view. Yeah. You know, we teachers, I mean, here's the thing, Chris, we're never going to be rich. We're never going to be famous. <laughs> but one of the cool things, or maybe you are, but but one, <laughs> of the, the, one, of, one of the neat things about being in the American classroom is that we do see things early, right? Yeah. We do, we stand at this fascinating and enigmatic crossroads of culture and parenting and community and education. And we we see things early, right? So sometimes, you know, you'll see uh, these articles in the New York Times or the Atlantic or National Review or the Wall Street Journal. And you'll be like, I knew these things years ago. Like, really, the kids are addicted to their phones? Really, the kids have anxiety and they're depressed? 
Really? Shocker. Go talk to a teacher. They knew it long ago. And I'll tell you that I do see now that everybody seems to be willing to talk about the loneliness of our children. The fact that there's a literacy crisis, the fact that they, frankly, just the knowledge, the cultural literacy, our kids are graduating from high school and they don't know much. You know, we've all seen these, you know, they used to in the nineties, it was jaywalking. Um, you know, where, where Jay Leno would go out in the street and ask a question and <laughs> people would give dumb answers. But now you have, I mean, just, just not to bore you with statistics, but you are a math guy. Uh-huh. Only 13% of the country now is proficient in civics in U.S. history. Yeah. You have 60% of third graders who are below reading level for their, for, you know, already in the third grade. Uh, you have the fastest declines in fourth and eighth grade math scores in the history of the country. And in the last two years, we have lost all the gains that we had from 1980 to 2020. Yeah. Right, things are not going in in the right direction, but at least we know it. But yes. we're not. Yeah, we know it. You know, I mean, this summer has been like a never-ending spigot of bad news, right? About the academic and emotional health of our young people. Right, and we're not going to solve the problem. I, I believe by trying to simply say, well, we're going to make things easier. We're going to pass you along. We're going to give you a, a, a you know a computer instead of a teacher. Never going to work. No, AI is not going to replace us educators. Those kids need real people in front of them. Uh, you know that, Jeremy, uh, as well. And if we can uh, get the kids, even if your school district says you must use some devices or technology or Chromebooks or whatever, as much as you can, also get those kids off of those devices, get them working and communicating together. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody to think here that I'm like a Luddite and I hate technology. I do. I, I, I love technology. Yeah. But I think technology should always be a complementary tool. It should never be the centerpiece, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, if there are really cool videos uh, that, that help oh, yeah. reinforce what you're teaching, yep. use them. I yep. use, you know, I mean, again, I know this is audio, so showing my phone here, it doesn't help. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I, I love the Remind app, you know, telling kids, hey, don't forget, you have this due tomorrow, or here's the link to an article I want you to read. I mean, yep. so... I absolutely use technology, but let me tell you, let me be very explicit about what I don't like. What I don't like, and I know that this is increasingly common, especially in the lower grades, is the kids come in, they pick up their Chromebook, they put on their ed- headphones, the teacher sits down, and the kids work on the computer, you know, for half the period. And then the teacher says, hey, if you finish early, feel free to, you know, do whatever you want. And some teachers like that because now the behavior problems aren't there, right? It's pacified the kids, the kids who used to finish early and then they become a distraction and a problem. Well, now they're playing on the computer. But I'll tell you right now, what these kids don't need is more screen time, in my opinion. Um, They do need that human connection to the teacher. They need to have discussions. I mean, I, again, I'm not saying all you should ever do is lecture, but I do think the idea of a teacher trying to instill knowledge and skills still it worked back in the Academy of Plato. It worked in the Lyceum of Aristotle. It can work today. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, a lot of educators are listening, Jeremy. And and again, we're chatting with Jeremy Adams, author of Hallowed Out. Definitely, I would recommend it, educators. You know, you, you don't have to agree with 100% of everything in a book, but there are so many great things uh, that, that Jeremy has, has written from his experience and definitely backed up by so many great uh, stats and research and, and, and articles. Again, like you said, from the New York Times, from Wall Street Journal, from everywhere, the Atlantic and stuff. And follow him also on, on Twitter at Jeremy Adams 6. But as us as educators, you know, we see this problem. So, so what are we going to do about it? You know, what can parents start to do about it? And, and maybe even rolling it into that, that even bigger question, you know, I mean, you know, going forward in education, what, what's going to have to change? What are we going to have to start doing different? Well, you know, you use the phrase going forward in education. Yeah. Um, and I think 
to a certain degree, going forward means looking backwards and figuring out what used to work. I, I think just because something is new doesn't mean that it's better. Mm. Um, now, and, that, and by the way, I'm a big believer in progress. I'm a big believer oh, yeah. that you know there are there are new developments and new technologies and new strategies. And if they work better, I mean, again, I, I I'm a believer in human agency and this idea that that you know a lot of the, we should do research and change our practices on the basis of it. So yeah. I absolutely don't, don't don't get me wrong here. But I do think that at the end of the day, as a lot of elements of our society and institutionally how we've stepped down, I do think one of the things that the public doesn't understand is how much we educators have to stand up, that, you know, we are expected to do things and to deal with with realities that I I could never have imagined 25 years ago, that my teachers never could have imagined. In my district, I had to do 22 trainings this summer. Not a single training was about how to be a better teacher. It was all about things like suicide, uh, grooming. Yeah. human trafficking, child abuse, these things show up in our classroom every day. And as a yeah. result of that, as a result of that, you know, we're having to act as, you know, in loco parentis, we're having to act as, as friends and counselors sometimes. And I'm okay with that. But when you say, what should educators do? Please, even though we have to deal with these things and we have to do it. And I'm not saying yeah. we shouldn't have to, right. If a kid is hungry, I'm happy that my school get, feeds them. If they don't have counseling because they can't afford it. I'm glad that my school does it. Like I'm proud of that. But academics still has to be number one. It has to be number one. I am a, I've spent a quarter of a century teaching American civics. I've taught tens of thousands of students. And if there is one certain door to the American dream, that door is a high quality education. If you ask anybody who was in a bad situation, who didn't have a lot of opportunity, but who went to high school, had to, you know, make the most of their opportunities, found a way to get to college and did well. They're not going to come back and say and say they're not going to come back and say thanks for the low expectations. Right. Thanks for letting everything slide. Thanks for telling me I didn't have to study. Yeah. Absolutely not. They're going to say thanks for believing in me enough to believe that I could reach this bar. Yeah. So academics have to be number one. Yeah, and and as educators, we have to be able to do that. Like you said, Jeremy, balancing those things of making sure that, that kid has enough to eat, making sure that, that kid has that encouragement, that support, those people that they can talk to, but. Once they get in that classroom, we've got to find those ways to make sure that they're they're learning those skills, those things that they need to be able to do any of those careers that are out there. And those again, those careers are changing so fast. Uh, we need to we need to help them to have as much of a, a leg up. And and like you said too, we are teachers and we have that ability to to stand up and step up in the lives of these kids. Not so much in loco parentis, but um, but to to really be there for them. Yeah, and, and I would say to you, I mean, this is why. You know, the, the book is not a, a big downer. I mean, I'm just kind of, it's like a warning. Oh, no. It says, you know, that it's a hollowed out, a warning about America's next generation. And I'll tell you right now, it, it is hard for me to be a cynic when I teach in an inner city. I see a bunch of kids who have not been given a ton of opportunity. They mm-hmm. don't have a lot of financial resources. Maybe they have a difficult home life, but by God, they believe in themselves and they believe in hard work and they believe in what's being offered to them. And they believe that they can slingshot themselves to, to success. And I've taught long enough that I've seen it done yeah. hundreds, if not thousands of times. Yeah. I live in California. You don't got to go to Disneyland to see the magic. You can come to the American classroom and see it because the kids believe in their own agency and their own capacity and they make it happen. So it's possible. 
That is awesome, Jeremy. They they don't have to go to Disneyland to see the magic. That really, it does happen. And, and you share some of those stories in your book. I I, I love it. Um, it is. It is very hopeful, too. Uh, there are the things that we're facing each and every day, teachers, but so much uh, possibility and so much opportunity still for our kids. Again, if we have those expectations for them and if we can provide them with, with the opportunity to take uh, hold of those. Jeremy, it's been great chat with you today. Any other just last thoughts for the educators out there listening and, and just thinking about things. Maybe they're starting a school year. Maybe they're hearing this in the middle of the school year, but uh, just any, any other last thoughts? You know what? I would just like to say to my, my kind of teaching brethren out there, it's been, you know, we've got a lot of bad headlines about education in the last 18 months. Uh, teacher morale is profoundly low in this country, but I would just like to say to all of you out there who are listening, who are teaching, who sometimes feel down, you have to optimize optimism. I think sometimes, you know, we'll have a class of 35 people and two kids who are misbehaving or not doing their work. And that's who we focus on. Yeah. And that's who we think about. And we feel like failures. And at the end of the day, I want you to realize that you are doing the work that makes America possible. Individual dreams can't be achieved. Democracy doesn't happen. The economy doesn't happen. Technology can't be utilized or created if you don't do your job. And trust me, you are doing them. Maybe for not 35 out of 35, maybe it's 33 out of 35. But remember, remember that you are doing a good job for most of your students almost all of the time and to focus on that. Yeah. And we're still making an impact some way on those two kids that are that are struggling and uh, and, and it's going to come back to them. I, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. How many times over the years when you see a kid that is like, man, Mr. Woods, I'm so sorry. I I, I wish I would have paid closer attention to your class. I wish I would have done something a little bit better uh, because now I'm feeling the effects of it. But uh, still, they they learn from that too. So Jeremy Adams, uh, really great chat with you today. Just all the best to you as you start your next school year. And um, and hopefully the next 25 years of your career are going to be uh, amazing as you uh, help just keep taking education to where it needs to be for our kids of today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for all that you do. And I really appreciate coming on the podcast here. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And again, educators, uh, definitely check out Jeremy's book, Hollowed Out. I, I definitely, I, I encourage you to read it and then pass it along to somebody. Don't just keep it on a shelf. That's not where it's meant to be. Uh, follow him at Jeremy Adam six. And again, all these things are in the show notes as well. If you need to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. I'm always happy to help. And until next time, educators, just keep on doing that most important thing. We are doing the most important job each and every day when we're, when we're helping those kids to reach the those lofty goals uh, that we have for them and we want them to have for themselves.